Hi, BT Focus listeners. We've got another great RBT miniseries edition for you today. And we're joined by our exceptional guest hosts, Dan Jones and Victoria DeShazer, who do just a phenomenal job describing what we refer to as contingencies of reinforcement, which I think can often be one of the most misunderstood or easy to confuse concepts, especially for new BTs who are studying for their exam. What I love about this conversation is that they do a tremendous job of breaking down that technical terminology and concepts and describing in ways that are very easy to understand and accessible with some great stories along the way. Be sure to hang on till the end and you can apply what you learned in our test prep scenarios. What I love about all of these guest episodes is that you get to hear directly from your colleagues who are applying the work every day in their role as behavior technicians and just doing an incredible job modeling our science. Dan and Victoria, I love being able to pass the microphone and listen to just another incredible conversation. Welcome to the RBT miniseries presented by the BT Focus podcast. As we walk you step-by-step through the second edition RBT task list on your path to certification and elevating your practice. Welcome back to the BT Focus podcast. I am Dan Jones. I am joined by Victoria. Hello, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks to Brian. He gave us control again. (laughs) I always make a joke about this because... um, Brian will take the reins back for uh, a month or two, and then he'll give us the reins. And I'm always like, uh, we have the power. <laughs> right. Um, so today's topic, we're talking about contingencies of reinforcement. And I love this topic because reinforcement is so important. It's something that happens to us on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, sometimes with our paychecks, unless you're like biweekly. Um, we go through a lot of reinforcement on on a day-to-day basis. And there's different types of reinforcements that we'll be talking about today, as well as some different types of schedules of reinforcement. Now, Victoria, quick question. What is reinforcement? So reinforcement is a response contingent consequence, which increases the future frequency of the response that follows. So when we talk about reinforcement, naturally we think of reinforcers we talk about something is not acting as a reinforcer unless it increases the future frequency of a response. Exactly. And um, a lot of the times we, we think we have an idea of what the language we speak is. And then we start a new job and they start switching up the jargon and they start using words that you know the word, but it, it isn't used the same way. And I think reinforcement falls under that category, as well as punishment falls under that category here when, when we're speaking behaviorese versus when we're not. And um, I usually get this feedback from students whenever I'm in my training about how you guys are using reinforcement in a way that I've never heard before. And so I always try to break it down in simplistic forms. And Victoria, you did a great job of outlining that as well. When we're thinking about reinforcement, we're, we're thinking about increasing a behavior whether we're adding a stimuli or removing a stimuli. And when we're thinking about punishment, we're thinking about decreasing a behavior. 
similarly adding a sim stimuli or removing a stimuli. So breaking it down a little bit further in terms of positive reinforcement, we're adding a stimuli and the future frequency of the response will always increase. The example that I can give you here is if you are a behavior technician and you're working with a client and you present the SD of find red, when the client correctly identifies red, the technician adds verbal praise paired with a reinforcer. It could be an edible reinforcer, reinforcer, a tangible reinforcer. And then what we're seeing is the future frequency of finding red will increase. Now, similarly, in terms of negative reinforcement, what do you think we're looking at there, Victoria? So negative reinforcement, when we think of positive and negative, I love how you describe that. So negative is simply subtracting something. And we know the term reinforcement means the outcome is the behavior increases. So putting the two together, removing a stimulus negative, so a behavior increases in the future, reinforcement. So for this example, the technician may present a task, the client appropriately touches a break card. The technician then removes the task they had presented, allowing for the break. So the future frequency of touching that break card increases. Good example there. Um, and you're right. Like I love um, differentiating between positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement and really outlining it for the individuals that we're working with because we're looking in both of those at increasing a behavior. Just because we've added positive or negative um, doesn't mean that we're negative in terms of decreasing a behavior. Reinforcement will always increase a behavior. And when we're talking about reinforcement, um, it's vitally important that you guys be reinforcing your clients. Um, I remember the first client that I started working with, I walked into the home and um, first day, my client takes one look at me and cries. And I was like, man, I can't take this personally, right? I was like, is it my face? Like, what <laughs> should I do? Um, and so I come back the next day and the same thing happened. And the same thing happened for three weeks. and. For me, it was something that I had to tell myself, don't take this personally, like keep trying. There's a reason why this is happening. All behaviors have a reason. And so after talking with family, I realized that the client had been receiving ABA services from another company before I had arrived. And the former therapist had not reinforced at all. There was only ABA being applied with just work. And I was like, no wonder. It didn't help that also the former therapist was a skinny white guy. You guys can't see me, but I'm a skinny <laughs> white guy. Uh, and so my client wasn't making any face-to-face -face contact. And so he didn't realize that I was someone new. And so reinforcement was really important because what we saw there is that if you're not reinforcing, your clients are gonna, going to conditioned ABA with only work. And that's not okay. I mean, Victoria, like, what is something that highly reinforces you? Yeah, so for me, it's going to be spending time with my son. So that's highly reinforcing. So when I pre-back principal, I complete all my work for the day. I'm then able to spend as much time as I can before bedtime with him. Ah, that's so sweet. Are you reading bedtime stories yet? Oh, yeah. Yep. So we have uh, maybe not traditional bedtime stories, but we love the book Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. <laughs> um, the Wonder That Is You. Um, some of those. 
Oh, that's so sweet. So yeah, that pre-map principle, like you get that hard stuff out of the way and then you get to reinforce yourself. Um, and if you didn't have that, how do you think you'd feel? Yeah. So if I knew that I was just working and there was really no reward at the end of it, um, I wouldn't be as motivated to complete the things that I need to complete. And I really like that the language you're using as far as reinforcing, reminding that we're reinforcing the behaviors um, and we're not typically reinforcing the person, but we're always reinforcing the behaviors. Um, and so that's a really important thing to remember as well as we're talking about behavior ease and the language to use. Very well stated and thank you for sharing. And yeah, we're really setting those motivating operations um, because we're really looking at increasing those desirable behaviors, especially if they're outlined in the behavior intervention plan. You're going to be doing that through reinforcement. And also through reinforcement, if we were to tie this back into the contingencies, what's our ultimate goal here? What do you think? So our ultimate goal for reinforcing the behaviors of our clients is to see those behaviors increase. So if there's a deficit that's been identified by the clinician, they write a program and then we do the program in order to see those skills increase and then being able to master them to be able to generalize then into other environments. So by us reinforcing, then those skills increase and they can master those targets. Great example, and I love how you focused on um, if there's a skill deficit there, your supervising clinician is going to work on that, and then ultimately we are looking at generalizing these skills to different environments, to different people. When we're looking at contingencies of reinforcement, um, in, in the simplest form, we're applying that antecedent behavior consequence, right? So we're trying to make that link. And when that behavior is exposed to, say, a natural environment situation, such as a smile in response to eye contact, we're having that shaping occurring, which will lead to a maintained behavior of smiling when there's face eye contact through that reinforcement procedure. Um, so great example as well, Victoria, very well outlined. Now let's move on to different types of reinforcement. We're going to look at unconditioned reinforcement versus contingent reinforce, conditioned reinforcement. So we're gonna break it down a little bit more. So what do you think, Victoria, unconditioned reinforcement is? So unconditioned reinforcement is gonna involve a reinforcer that an individual is born knowing it's a reinforcer. So no learning is required. These things are easy things, right? These are highly obtainable things. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're at the bottom, right? These are food, water, warmth. These things are the things that you need to survive. Great examples um, in terms of the food, water, and warmth. And I love that the, the hierarchy of needs mentioned because that's something vitally important. And a lot of the times we tie back reinforcers with quality of life as well. And in terms of quality of life, like you really need those essentials, which is that food, water, shelter, warmth. Um, and so a lot of those will fall under unconditioned reinforcers as was outlined perfectly. And then when we compare and contrast those to conditioned reinforcers, we're looking at reinforce, reinforcement involving a reinforcer that an individual has learned is reinforcing through pairing with unconditional reinforcers. For example, money after being paired with food or praise after being paired with attention. And one of the things that I always like to focus on here is that money can be 
a high motivator for a lot of people, but it really is not an unconditioned reinforcer. You're gonna use money to buy the essentials that you need, which are those unconditioned reinforcement. Both are still acting as reinforcement, um, but we're looking more at like a secondary versus primary, primary reinforcer there. So let's move on to some basic schedules of reinforcement. Now, I know a lot of the times in my trainings, I and I was, had been talking to you earlier today before we started this podcast about how these basic schedules of reinforcement sometimes tend to be not so basic and they can get complicated fast unless you break them down um, and really, really look at each one in great detail. So whenever you're working with a client, it, we had mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, it's vitally important that you reinforce, but how do you know when to reinforce? What do you think? Yeah, so whenever there is a clinical question and you're not sure what to do, you should always talk to your supervising clinician because they are writing the treatment plan and behavior intervention plans. So they're going to tell you for this particular program or behavior, we are going to use this schedule reinforcement versus this schedule reinforcement for this thing over here. Great example. And I love how you pointed out there that we really do need to fall back on our supervising clinician. This is vitally important. It's better to ask and wait than it is just to jump in and do something on your own accord. And that's because your supervising clinician really has set the schedule of reinforcement. And if you do not know what it is, always talk to them about it. They should be a text, email, or phone call away as well as when they're out for their weekly supervision, they can model it for you. I know when I had first started as a behavior technician, the schedules of reinforcement really got me too. And my super, supervising clinician uh, at one point wanted me to run a variable interval uh, of five. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, I'm not sure how to run that one. And she was like, that's okay. I can model and show you how to run that one. And that helped me a lot. Um, it made me feel more comfortable. And your supervising clinician will definitely do this for you if you ask them. It made me feel more comfortable. I was more confident when I was running that schedule of reinforcement. Um, but I really had to like take it back and ask for help there. And I think that's, that's really important for us to identify these first before we get into them. So now let's break them down a little bit more in terms of your schedule of reinforcement. The first thing we're gonna look at is a fixed ratio. So reinforcement is provided after a fixed number of responses. So for example, we could have something like an FR1 a fixed ratio of one. Reinforcement is provided after every response. We're looking at continuous reinforcement here. To give you an example of what an FR1 would look like, let's say that Watson raises his hand. That's our target behavior. And then after that target behavior is emitted, we're going to give that reinforcement, whatever that might be. Could be the iPad, could be an edible, Whatever that reinforcement is for Watson, after we see that target behavior of a fixed ratio of one, we're going to provide that reinforcement. If we use the same example for an FR3, we're having a fixed ratio of three. So reinforcement is provided after every three responses. So if you remember back, Watson raised his hand, that was the target behavior. We saw it once, we provided reinforcement. Now in this situation for an FR3, we need to see reinforcement being provided after every three responses instead of that every response. So after Watson raises his hand every three responses, 
that's our target behavior, we're going to provide that reinforcement. This falls under an intermittent reinforcement. So it's a little bit different than a continuous reinforcement because it's not happening every single time. Now, why do you think, Victoria, it's important to have continuous versus intermittent reinforcement? Mm, so I think continuous reinforcement is where we start out a lot of times when we're working with clients because we have to show them again that pairing these instructions with eventual reinforcement is very important when it comes to ABA, as you were talking about with your example with your first client in the original ABA company versus when you came on the case. So ABA was paired with just acquisition, lots of work. Whereas when you're using reinforcement appropriately and you're reinforcing the behaviors, if you're starting with a continuous schedule of reinforcement, they quickly learn, okay, I keep doing this, I get reinforcement easily. Then you can eventually phase it out to a more intermittent schedule, like an FR3, um, so that you're not providing the edible after every response, ever after every correct response, but you're providing it intermittently. So instead of giving a Skittle after every single time they touch their nose, you're giving a Skittle after every five times or whatever that schedule is determined by your supervising clinician. Also, the dentist will probably thank you, right, if you're not <laughs> providing the Skittle after every response versus after every fifth response, right? 100% there. Great example. <laughs> I love that. So now let's move on to variable ratio. So variable ratio, reinforcement is provided after a variable number of responses. So in terms of, let's say, for example, a VR3, reinforcement is provided after an average of three responses. So for example, again, if we're breaking it down a little bit more, after three responses, after five responses, after one response, after four responses, and then after two responses, we're gonna get that reinforcement. So I like this one because we're moving to a little bit more of an intermittent reinforcement. Um, and th this does fall closely into a fixed interval. So what is a fixed interval? So a fixed interval is when you provide reinforcement after the first correct response, after a fixed amount of time has passed. So that interval is going to be the same amount of time. So once like the timer goes off, if they're engaging the appropriate behavior, then they get their reinforcer. Yes, great example. Um, and both of these are intermittent schedules. And your supervising clinician, as was outlined by Victoria earlier, will start with that continuous reinforcement, um, especially if ABA therapy is new, and then move towards these more intermittent schedules of reinforcement. Um, and so we have next a variable interval, which we're saying that reinforcement is provided after the first correct response, after a variable amount of time has passed. For example, they have like a VI5 of minutes here. So reinforcement is provided after five minutes have passed and one correct response, after another six minutes have passed and one correct response, and after another four minutes have passed and one correct response. Now, I know earlier today as well, Victoria, we were talking about this and you gave a great example of what a variable interval might look like in a real world situation. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, so the variable ratio schedule of reinforcement is seen in casinos or gambling, so slot machines. 
they actually have audits where they have to prove that they're on a variable ratio schedule, that they're just not taking people's money. So why do people continue to put money into the machine? Because you may hit big. You don't know if the next time is the time, right? So they continue to put that money into the machine, continue to push that button or pull that lever. Um, So it's a variable ratio. You never know when the reinforcement is going to come after which response. Exactly. A great example. I like how you broke it down a little bit more as well. We're really looking for that higher cumulative number of responses in a shorter amount of time. Because whenever we're working with our clients, um, a lot of the times your supervising clinician will run through an assessment, they'll put a program into your iPad, you'll run that iPad for a certain period of time. Your supervising clinician is looking for that skill acquisition to happen quicker and quicker and quicker. And this is important because that's how we learn, right? Um, If I had learned during the pandemic how to sew, and it took me, I watched a YouTube video and it took me probably less than an hour to learn how to sew. Now, that's it's a pretty standard time, but probably a little bit more than most people, probably. Uh, but I'm looking for that time to be shorter and shorter each time, especially when I went back to that video and I looked at that video again, especially when I picked up the needle maybe in a week or two weeks later. Um, we're looking for that with our clients as well. And we're going to achieve that by using a more intermittent schedule of reinforcement. What do you think would happen if your supervising clinician just stuck with a continuous schedule of reinforcement? Yeah, so if the schedule of reinforcement continued to be continuous, um, I know that the client would become satiated very quickly with whatever the reinforcer is. So this would require a lot more um, types of preference assessments in order to continuously identify a new reinforcer so that they're not bored essentially, because remember a reinforcer is only acting as a reinforcer if it increases the future frequency. So if they're satiated, they're full of Skittles, (laughs) they don't wanna work for Skittles anymore, right? So that intermittent schedule is really important because it's also more naturalistic. So we're teaching them that, hey, every time you accurately put the can of beans in the grocery cart, you're not going to get a Skittle, right? But after, you know, you put so many in the cart and you go and check out, you can leave with those items, right? So you're not going to get your reinforcement right away as well as you're not going to get it after every response. Great example. You are on the ball today. And you're completely right. We are really fighting against that satiation. Now, satiation may happen. And you had identified that if you do see satiation, you'd have to run a preference assessment. But if you were to stick with that continuous schedule of reinforcement, you'd be running a lot more preference assessments. And I love how you pointed that out. Um, And you use the example of the Skittle. And a lot of the times I use um, an example of Sour Patch Kids. Absolutely love Sour Patch Kids. But over a period of time, I'm eating them probably after a bag and I can't feel my taste buds anymore. I can't feel my tongue anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm no longer motivated to eat Sour Patch Kid. And so I'm satiated. If I were continuously reinforced with Sour Patch Kids um, whenever I emitted a target behavior during that day, I would eventually think that Sour Patch Kids would turn into a punishment. 
and not so much a reinforcement. It would I would definitely be like, I do not want to eat these anymore. My tongue is bleeding. Um, and so it's really important for, of course, you to follow for you to follow your supervising clinician's schedule of reinforcement. But also, we want you guys to get that basics, that idea of why your supervising clinician may move you from a continuous to an intermittent. Now, of course, in my experiences working as a behavior technician. I loved the continuous schedule of reinforcement because it was simplistic. It was easy, right? You were like, I see the target behavior, I reinforce it. I see it, I reinforce it. And then it was a little bit more challenging for me to run that intermittent schedule of reinforcement because at the same time you're running DTT, your client's emitting a behavior, um, there's so much going on around you, there's so much you're doing in that session, you're prompting, and so it can be difficult to maintain that schedule of reinforcement, but of course it's important that you guys do. Um, so the best thing that I suggest is practice, practice, practice. Like if you need to, I had to write it down and then I would practice it at home and just by myself, um, running my schedule of reinforcement. And I also suggest for a pro tip here to have all of your materials laid out. Um, it helped me a lot, especially when I was going through prompting and schedule of reinforcement, because I could see what I was doing next, and I didn't have to really rely on what what's happening next or what am I doing next. I was very, very organized and planned and ready for my DTT in that moment and my prompting sequence, and so I could spend a little bit more time on focusing on that schedule of reinforcement. Did you have any tips here for reinforcement? Yeah. So I was, I think those are all really great. I think um, remembering the different schedules of reinforcement too and which one's more potent and produces higher rates of responding is always going to be those intermittent schedules or variable schedules because the reinforcement isn't able to be um, predicted as, as easily as what some of those fixed ratio or fixed variable, right? They can know as long as I'm admitting a response at the end of that five minute interval and I'm engaging in the appropriate behavior, if it's, say it's a fixed interval, I get the reinforcement. Whatever you were doing for the four minutes prior may not matter, right? But if you were engaging for it for that last minute, <laughs> you're gonna obtain the reinforcement, right? So it's predictable. You, you know when it's coming, right? Especially if you can watch the timer really well. So those variable intervals of reinforcement are going to be really important to remember that variable ratio is most potent. Um, and so if you're working with the clients, you're going to follow your supervising clinician's plan, but you're going to see them moving towards that variable ratio, variable interval, because it is more naturalistic because the world isn't predictable. <laughs> yes. And also, as you have mentioned several times in today's podcast, those intermittent schedules of reinforcement occur more often in the natural environment. And we really want to make ABA as natural as possible. Um, it is a challenge, especially when you're running a discrete trial training, but as much as you can involve yourself in natural environment training and as, as much as you can make DTT as natural as possible, it'll help you out better in the future. And also it'll help your client out better when they start generalizing these skills that you're teaching. So you did a great job of outlining those examples there. Thank you so much. Um, and so we really look to move towards those continuous schedules of reinforcement to intermittent schedules of reinforcement whenever we're looking at these contingency of, re of reinforcement. And if you remember anything about today's podcast, remember this. If your supervising clinician sets a schedule of reinforcement, you follow that schedule of reinforcement. Do not change it. 
it's really important that your supervising clinician has written that schedule of reinforcement for your client, so it's important for you to follow it. And in terms of the schedules of reinforcement, it's okay if you don't remember each one. The thing that I suggest is talk to your supervising clinician. They could even give you a little cheat sheet if possible. I remember that I had a Microsoft Word document that had the schedules of reinforcement broken down and then the examples next to it. That way it would give me a better idea of what, why I was running that schedule of reinforcement and what it would look like when I was in session. It helped me out a lot. So thank you for joining us. We have come to the end of our podcast and at the end of each of our topics, we ask questions. Um, so I will start off asking you a question if you're ready. Ready. Okay. Select all of the options that would be considered conditioned reinforcers. A, money. B, food. C, tokens. D, toys, E, water? Yeah, this is a really great question. So we go back to survival. What are the things you need to survive before all else, right? If you're in the wilderness, what is survival? So money, can't buy anything if I'm stuck in the middle of a field, right? <laughs> Food, yes. I need that. So I'm going to, so that is a, um, Unconditioned reinforcer. So money, money is conditioned. So this is A, is one of the conditioned reinforcers. C, tokens. Those are conditioned. D, toys. Those are conditioned. E, water. Unconditioned. It's part of survival. Fantastic job. I love your example. You're in the middle of the desert, right? Money, Money's not going to satiate you for food or water. Great example. All right. Now I am in the hot seat. All right. So question two, which type of schedule of reinforcement is described in the following example? Jimmy receives a token after three times initiating conversation, after five times initiating a conversation, and after one time initiating a conversation. So what are my options? So, A, FR2, B, VI, three minutes, variable interval, C, fixed interval, five minutes, D, variable ratio three. Um, so the first thing that I'm gonna focus on is those numbers there. So I'm looking at three, five, and one. Those are different numbers which means I can remove the fixed options. So now that, that eliminates it down to VI three minutes or VR three. And I need to remember that VI is a variable interval, so it's dealing with time. I also am, am clued on that by the three minutes there. So looking back at the question, I'm not dealing with time, I'm dealing with a ratio. So that means it, like process of elimination would be VR three, so variable ratio of three. You got it. Awesome. Now, last question. True or false? Fading from a continuous schedule of reinforcement to an intermittent schedule is important to both make conditions more similar to the natural environment and make the response more resistant to extinction. That's A, true. 
That one is true. Nice job. All right. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. We're signing off, ready to go enjoy the fall weather. Uh, and again, thank you for joining me, Victoria. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Dan. Of course. See you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this special RBT mini-series edition of the BT Focus podcast. We look forward to joining you next time as we continue journeying through the second edition RBT task list to help you elevate your practice and learn more about the science of applied behavior analysis.